Why let a good thing go to waste when you can make waste into a good thing? In this episode, we take one species trash and make a dazzling array of splendid treasures from it. It's a building material, nuptial offering, air conditioner, face mask, currency to trade for sweet sap, weapon, and even a self-defense spray. It's tools as tools on this episode of the Single Acorn Podscat. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hopping through the forest when suddenly you feel the urge to go? Have no fear, the Dear John is here. Dear John's porta potties are conveniently located in several natural habitats near you and come in a variety of camouflage options, including woods, swamp, desert, and snow. They're the perfect spot for a quick escape on your next journey. Just scan your surroundings, find the rock or branch that doesn't quite fit, and you're on your way to bladder relief in seconds. The Dear John is here for every type of peer. Hey there, naturalists, and welcome to the Single Acorn Podcast. I'm your host, Professor Iwigi, and I am here with Glenn Etter from Crapunzel's Septic, and that's Crapunzel's uh, Septic. So. Pun intended. Hey, how's it going, Teague? Not bad. How are you doing? Thanks for giving our business a plug there. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Maybe. You want, you want to tell us about Crapunzel's Septic? Uh, yeah, we basically um, use, we dress up as fairy tale figures, characters, I guess you call it, and we um, empty people's septic tanks, and it, it makes it all seem like a, you know, like a fun return to childhood type experience, as opposed to a potentially traumatic experience. So do you guys put on big performances, and like, you know, if you're working with a family's house, then you bring out all the kids and the neighborhood kids, and you stage yeah. a whole play for them? We stage a play, and usually we give them roles that involve actually cleaning the septic tanks, save the field, <laughs> their time and labor. A lot of the suits are also, you know, they'll be like dressed up as a little doe or fawn, but it's also kind of a hazmat type situation. <laughs> yeah. Hermetically sealed. It's a niche. <laughs> yeah. funny huh it's, Funcy. it sounds like most of the jobs that you find yourself working are are really quite niche <laughs> you know in this this world we have to specialize teak you know it's a big world find your niche exploit it i, I i've been hearing that you guys have really amazing t-shirts you want to describe your your t-shirts <laughs> for us yeah we actually took a um this was sort of next level i think but we took a, a picture of our own turds me and my partner, Julianne. And um, then we put those on the front of the t-shirt and then we have them like little eyes, little googly eyes on them. We don't have the actual turds, like a silk screen. Yeah, little sure. googly eyes and a little hat and little elf boots. And it's like, um, it's always a happy ending at Crapunzel's. And, then, <laughs> and it's like, that's actually coming out of the end of the crap, like the ending. And we put the ending in quotes. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, it took a long time to think up. This is why Business Insider listed you guys as one of the top 100 companies to watch <laughs> in 2021. So 2022, I should say. Yeah, they, they plugged us too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a problem, you know, septic tank gets overflows. It's a problem for everyone. So we're, we're helping out the world one tank at a time and one story at a time. Glenn, thank you for the amazing work that you guys are doing at Crapunzel Septic. Right. And if you um, need any help with your place at all, you know, round up some neighborhood kids if you don't want to use your own child because there can be some lasting staff infection type situations sometimes. <laughs> wow. You have to sign a waiver. So I, uh, I hear you have a story for us um, or not so much a, a story maybe as just like a... I do. I have some yeah, thoughts. Think about. Thoughts on poop. I was thinking about the general question of, of poop and humor and uh, 
Why, why a lot of people find poop and farting jokes funny. Why is, why is it funny to us, Teague? That's the philosophical question. And actually, my background was partly improv theater. Uh, we were discouraged from doing poo-poo and pee-pee jokes. Those are seen as the lowest form of humor. But wow. nevertheless, it happens sometimes. Um, and we still, we'll still respect the art form of a good poop joke. Um, and I was realizing my sister and I one time were on a road trip many years ago, and we decided to, to pass the time by coming up with different um, sort of euphemisms for taking a poop. <laughs> and we came up with like 50. It was a long road trip. And, you know, we didn't have a lot else to talk about, I guess. Lots of, you know, sensitive family issues we were trying to dodge. So, but the ones I remembered, the ones I remembered were, um, I remembered we had shipped some eclairs to France. Uh-huh. We had <laughs> submit our application to Brown University and um, serve up some tea and crumpets. Those were the three I remembered. And I was thinking about like, why did I remember those? And I realized that back when I was in my anthropology days, we came across this theory about poop in general and, and bodily fluids. There was a literary theorist who basically said that there was a time the Europeans were in the sort of medieval time, Renaissance time, the aristocracy was trying to portray themselves as different from the commoners. And they were not, they were trying to portray themselves very noble and dignified and kind of people that didn't really poop. They certainly didn't poop in public. And they would make these paintings of themselves and these statues of themselves as like these very closed bodies. Like we don't poop, the commoners poop. But of course they do poop, right? But they would sort of use this idea that like we're above bodily functions, that's for the masses and that's for the poor people. And this literary theorist was talking about this writer, Rabelais, who wrote about this, this giant pantagruel who basically pooped everywhere and farted everywhere and ate things and he was hilarious and everyone loved him he was like why is this such a beloved character it's because he's kind of taking away this distinction these this aristocrats are trying to make as like the non-poopers by showing that everyone like he's a prodigious pooper and i realized these like examples i had from poop is like they're kind of they're kind of like highbrow a little bit like submitting an application to a university or eclairs to france or tea and crumpets. <laughs> yeah. it's something funny about like people that when, when it's like a really solemn situation, right? And somebody farts or like a really formal kind of situation. <laughs> and I guess when somebody poops everywhere, if that happens, it's funny. It's like something high becomes something low or something. We're trying to pretend we're not animals, right? But then it comes out that we are animals. So I think possibly, possibly that's, that's one thing that's behind why poop jokes are funny. But I'm going to say it's partly a mystery. It's a mystery. I mean, some poop jokes can be funny and others not. And why? Hard to say. Yeah. I mean, what, uh, did you read Angela's Ashes? The Frank McCourt book? I did not, although I, I did read the cover at one point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I felt like I started it. Yeah, you're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> you're not quite halfway, third, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, isn't there a saying about that? Like, you can always just judge a book by its cover or something? Yeah, I think like it that. is always. Wait, never. Don't read the book, just the cover. That's what it is. Yeah. It applies um, to people as well. So this is the rare exception where there's something in the book that you wouldn't get necessarily oh. from just reading the, the cover. <laughs> Interesting um, concept. Yeah, but it, so it's this kid in mid-early 1900s growing up in really poor Ireland. And he has this section in there where he's writing it through his eyes as a kid, trying to understand the world around him. He has this like passage where he's describing uh, thinking about like everybody poops. And yeah. uh, not only does everybody poop, which is, you know, ridiculous enough, but like everybody has to wipe their own ass. Uh, and so <laughs> even Hitler has to wipe his own ass. Potentially. I mean, you could hire someone to do it. I get, that, is, that is true. It's not a great job. I did that for a while. Yeah. In a test. Um, but it's not <laughs> <laughs> so you was another a failed uh, business endeavor. Um, <laughs> that was not a good specialized niche. Yeah, it was a niche, uh, but not the kind of niche you want to specialize in. Anyway. Definitely not. 
but yeah, it's, it's just, he was talking about as this like, is sort of great equalizer of like everybody goes through this experience. But it's so interesting, like, why is it so hilarious when we talk about poop or fart jokes, but everybody eats, right? Or everybody's fingernails grow. Right. It's not or everybody everybody's hair it's grows. Like, yeah. Or everybody has earlobes. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, something. Well, we try to hide it. It's something we try to hide and then it's, we're unsuccessful at it somehow. Somehow to m- many of us, that's funny. Yeah, I think that we talked about this when we were talking about the, the forbidden snack in our last episode <laughs> uh, with like animals that eat poop and there's something really taboo about poop in general. For me, I kind of have this understanding that it stems from the fact that there's a biological imperative to find poop repulsive on right, some level. It might, it might make you sick. It might make you sick if you ingest it. And so because there's like a cultural element that has biological underpinnings, I think that sort of like bolsters the argument of why it's funny is because it's uh, it's off limits on some deep-seated Deep level. Deep biological way. And I do think it's probably quite different from culture to culture. Um, what kind of poop jokes are funny? And even, I might say, how people wipe their butts is definitely different from place to place. There's the water technique, using the hand. Good for the butt, not so good for the hand, what I would, yeah. how I would describe <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and maybe uh, they didn't have this sort of aristocratic attempt to be like a closed body that never poops in some cultures. So maybe their poop jokes have a different resonance for them. No, no. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think, I think there might be this sort of biological side to it in, most, in every culture that underpins whatever understanding they have of their of poop. There might be some cultures where they use, right, uh, as an elephant poop made into paper for some people. Yeah. So maybe if you're just around elephants, I'm not sure there's any cultures that coexist with elephants. Gonna say yeah, well, I've got, a, I've got a couple of gross examples <laughs> today. So um, <laughs> okay, good. Maybe, we'll just wait for those. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good segue. So, so yeah, so the idea, uh, this episode is to talk about the different ways that uh, animals use poop as a tool for different functions. So stools and tools, stools and tools. <laughs> yeah, stools as tools. Stools as tools. Uh, that, that's great. So in our first two episodes, we were talking about what poop is. So it is a way of eliminating waste from the body. And then in the second one, we talked about a way that poop is used and has been uh, co-opted. So poop runs, basically your body is a cylinder uh, with food going in one end and food coming out the other end. And there's some inefficiency. And so the stuff that comes out at the other end, the tail end, still has energy in it and so if you could ingest that a second time still got some uh, good stuff yeah give it another go and then what we're going to do this episode is take it a step further to look at poop outside of its role in the digestive tract so different yeah functions different uses of it. for tools for the stools uh i was reminded of this um uh some talk that i saw about education uh i can't remember who it was i'll link to it in the show notes uh, but he was talking about how uh, kids are so great at what's called divergent thinking. So if you gave a kid a paper clip and you said, you know, uh, what different uses could you? They could think, think of a hundred right away. Yeah, and what if you gave it to an adult, they would think of a few. But then if you gave it to a kid, a kid would say, okay, how big is a paper clip and what is it made out of? Right. And I, I like that idea. I mean, I think it's helpful as an adult to not be divergent thinkers because. Basically, experience whittles away your ability to be a divergent thinker. Uh, in certain circumstances, it's good to think divergently. But if every time someone said, hey, do you need a paperclip? You have this like, you know, <laughs> yeah, confusing moment. Hair. You're like, like wait, how big is it? And what's it made out of? But anyways, I was thinking about that for this, like in terms of evolution. Evolution is a divergent thinker because it doesn't have 
any end goal or end direction in mind. And so with uh, poop as a potential resource, there are endless variations on how it might be used in a poop's afterlife, if you will. <laughs> Second life, we'll call it. Yeah, Second so coming. we're calling <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so this is all about the the second coming of uh, poop. <laughs> See, that's funny because it was something high religion that we made a bit low. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to read you a short quote. I wanted to do this last time, but then I forgot. And I want you to guess what they're talking about. All right. Paperclip. No paperclip. They're, t- oh, they're talking about paperclip. <laughs> too obvious. Poop. poop. Okay. All right, here we go. I'm ready. On Friday night, I couldn't sleep. I pictured demon-like New York pigeons eating garbage and creating mayhem around a single crumb of bread. It was too much to handle. In the morning, I was going to wake up and pay to have bird shit rubbed on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that he was, it was a patient and prescribed as a remedy that he was supposed to undergo, um, Maybe for some sort of acne type treatment, they said that guano or bird shit would be good for him. And he was like wrestling with that idea. I didn't really want to, it's a trusted family doctor, maybe. Didn't want to follow the advice, but was having nightmares. Second thoughts about it. That's my Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty close, actually. So this is actually uh, from a woman who she was writing for the Daily Beast and she got a, a facial at the Shizuka Spa in New York City. And they use uh, guano from type of nightingale that's called the Japanese bush warbler. And uh, yeah, they're these high, high end <laughs> boutique <laughs> facials use using bird shit, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I, we're not going to talk too much about human uses of poop today, although there are just an insane number of them. But this was kind of a cool one that found while I was doing research for this, where in Japan, which was actually borrowed from Koreans that were using bird guano as a form of uh, or as a tool for removing dyes from fabrics and materials and using it in sort of this aesthetic way where you could like bleach out dye to make cool patterns in fabrics. Um, and so that was used, you know, for I think starting in maybe like the 700s or so. Um, and it wasn't until probably the 1600s to 1800s, sometime in that range. So geishas, which were wearing white face masks that had lead and zinc in it, would lead to uh, skin problems and rashes and dry, flaky skin and everything right. like that. Uh, and so the material that was used, it's called Ugusu No Fun, which is great. That's no fun. Um, but this this material that was used to remove dye and fabric was extremely effective at removing the dyes that were uh, used as this, yeah, on the face paint. And so, uh, yeah, so the geishas were using this as a face paint remover, uh, and it would do that really effectively, but it was also used to condition the skin. And of course, you know, this is translated into a (laughs) high-end wealthy person (laughs) thing, but I think it's like almost $200 for uh, one of these facials. So there are people collecting their Extremely popular. Yeah, there must be. That's a niche, right? To go out and... Hopefully they don't disturb the nest. They just sort of wait around for them to poop, maybe leave a lot of food nearby the bush warbler's nest. This is the thing that I think we briefly touched on it with uh, the civet coffee in the last episode where, you know, historically it was people collecting civet poop out in the wild. And then once like, you know, Westerners and wealthy people uh, caught farms. onto this. Yeah, they just developed farms. And so now this is mostly coming from these uh, caged nightingales, of which course. is kind of sad. Yeah. I do know that... um. 
slightly related and that um in Chinese medicine that flying squirrel poop flying squirrel feces is it's uh it's an herb it's like a standard herb used in Chinese medicine I believe really yeah for I was what? just looking it up it looks like it's used for bleeding treat bleeding um it can be sort of a like irregular menstruation or a, vari- a variety of insect and snake bites topically or internally so there you go Probably not from the. Those are probably from like the the giant flying squirrels that they have out out there, as opposed to ours. That sounds right, right? Probably ones that were around there. It does not specify <clears throat> in this one internet page I looked up. Yeah, my research. <laughs> we'll fact we'll fact check you. Groundbreaking. Yeah, we'll fact check. Check the show notes. So uh, let's imagine that you're one of these little kids that thinks divergently, uh, and that poop I is am. a paper clip. Not that far from that. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so what uses would you, could you come up with for... Well, there's the classic, I mean, I sort of tend to go for the classic monkey, you know, you can throw it, throw it at an enemy, which I suppose could become a kind of art, right? Maybe you can make art from it, like a bowerbird. You could make, maybe you you could make a little dwelling from it, right? Like an adobe hut, you could like put together maybe some poop to make a hut. You can burn it. There, there is an art project. I, I'll, I'll link to it. Uh, Brian Pfeiffer, I mentioned last week, sent it to me. That's made from meconium. The uh, there are two different uses of the word right, meconium. The first but poop, meconium right? can, yeah, and then it can also refer to uh, caterpillar poop. Um, uh, and from these, I can't remember what kind of caterpillar, but they put these sheets of paper down below the caterpillars as they're feeding, and then they and just splatter. Down. Yeah, it rains down and paints these really beautiful like designs onto <laughs> sheets of paper. Wow! All right, so we've got we've got uh, aesthetically inclined monkeys, <laughs> or just uh, military militaristic, you know, aggressive monkeys, or who, who are defending their family maybe by throwing poop. Okay, so you could use it actively as a defense mechanism. As a defense, yeah. I mean, you can think of a bird swooping down, pooping on some, pooping on another bird. Maybe I believe that is used in certain cases, right? To disable the other birds. I believe I've read about that, Teague. <laughs> I have I not read about thing. that. It's possible. <laughs> Check the show notes for that one. Um, I wonder if it could be used as um as bait in some way. Like you put it out, and it attracts certain kinds of insects or creatures that you're going to then eat. So you like place it in an area and then you wait and pounce on what comes to investigate it interesting so there's a book called medicine quest by uh bill bill plotkin or mark plotkin i can't remember uh and uh this is the only source that i've ever found this in and he describes this group down in the amazon called the maroons and they have witnessed uh tapers and going down and, and this is well known that uh tapers will poop in water and they'll often when they're they're being hunted they'll jump into water to escape predators but they'll also poop in water to poop in a place where they that poop won't get detected so some predators can you know detect fresh scat and hunt thereby one of the things that he describes or that he was told about and then the maroons actually use the same technology to hunt fish is that the tapers will eat a plant called nakoi and they the stems of that have this alkaloid in there that when it gets digested and then pooped into the water diffuses into the water and it prevents oxygen uptake in fish and so then the fish basically get incapacitated and float to the surface brown dynamite yeah (laughs) yeah if if it's brown brown dynamite yeah tn2 (laughs) Um, (laughs) and and then they'll be able to eat the the fish uh 
And so it's in the book Medicine Quest, but I haven't found any other sources that have confirmed that. But the, the Maroons will actually use the same plant and they'll crush up leaves and they'll put it in the water, uh, according to Plotkin. Uh, they'll put it in the water and then stun the fish and then harvest them that way But again, uh, as well. For viewers at home, if you're taking your child out fishing, local fishing hole, we don't recommend encouraging your child to just poop in the water in hopes that a pumpkin seeds will float <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> Crappie. Yeah, don't feed your crappie. child. It's good for catching crappie, uh, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Any other uses you can think of? Um, you could do better than this. Come on, Glenn. Well, aesthetics covers so much. You know, I wonder if it's like used to attract a mate in any in any way. Sort of like bait, like a prodigious. You know, a, a a more color, an animal, a bird that maybe has a ridiculously long tail but can still fly well might attract a mate. Maybe a bird that can just do a tremendously large poop for an animal sort of show off their poop like a lek kind of and instead of showing off their body just sort of like showing like well, i did this i made this i'm still okay i don't know if that happens yeah in indirect way so there's uh have you ever seen uh photos of egyptian vultures uh, i don't think so do they are they different looking than other vultures yeah definitely definitely they're definitely different from our they look like some sort of regal pharaoh-esque version of a vulture than like our turkey vultures or black vultures that we have out here and they're I am, they looking at a picture <clears throat> some feathers around the head more feathers around the head than our vultures it feels like a little bit of a crown or tuft yeah and then their colors describe their heads it looks like the color, color of their heads is very heads. Ye yellow and black um but maybe multicolored in one of these i'd say predominant predominantly yeah. yellow and then bare skin yeah bare skin. definitely so and it's it's more it's like almost like a yeah, canary or golden yellow it's this word. really vibrant one very vibrant color and uh yeah so egyptian vultures uh will eat cow dung um and other these like large ungulates and they'll eat the dung and those ungulates are feeding on vegetation and again you know your your ability to digest stuff that you're ingesting is not 100 percent and so plants that have yellow pigments in them or orange pigments in them which are called carotenoids those get pooped out and then turkey or sorry not turkey vultures egyptian vultures will go along and eat the cow excrement and when they ingest it they're getting some nutrients from the cow patties or whatever you want to call them but they're also getting some of these make carotenoids make themselves more yellow golden canary yeah Exactly. And uh, it's an honest signal. Um, so we talked about honest signals right. back when we were talking in season one about symbioses. And these are signals that are an honest signal of an organism's health. And so the yellower the face, the healthier, the more well-fed those be, vultures the more are. They've been able to find and eat. And maybe their offspring yeah. would also be able to do that. Yeah, so there's a direct link between the health of the vulture and the yellowness of its head. Wow, which yeah. is kind of cool. The golden, the golden children of the vulture family. Just trying to think of other uses for poop. I mean, obviously, we use poop for uh, fertilizer and helping things grow. But I imagine there are animals that have all kinds of ways of using poop to maybe grow things other than plants. Maybe grow fungus or grow other kinds of <clears throat> nutritious meals for themselves yeah well we talked about last episode that termites will use uh their poop to grow mushrooms that they're uh, then yes. harvesting uh one of the cool things about termite colonies is that they'll the colony itself the structure of it is made out of a mix of wood pulp that they're chewing up 
and some of their uh, dung um, and then also mud that they're collecting and they'll pack it all together. And the dung has higher concentration of a streptomyces strain of bacteria that is a fungicide. And so it's pretty cool. So they're, the structure that they're building their colonies out of has a fungicide in it that prevents a dis- parasitic or destructive fungus for the termite. So this is not one that they want to be cultivating. They're selective uh, to, about their yeah, mushroom cultivation. Ingesting as food, which is, yeah, pretty cool. And actually the fungus is something that's used as a termite treatment. So if you have uh, termites, you can you know, use this, but one of the things that makes it hard to use that as an actual treatment is that the colonies themselves are made out of uh, a fungicide. Does any organism that you know use poop for actually hunting, like to actually kill, you smother another creature with poop, or are able to get your prey? <laughs> Somehow it's like an integral part of the hunting. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to visualize, but you may know an example. I did not come across anything that suggested that the closest was with the tapers but there there are some that it's uh called aggressive mimicry where if you there's like defensive mimicry where if you are a caterpillar that looks like a stick or something then you're using mimicry to defend yourself from predators and then there's aggressive mimicry which is not what you're talking about about <laughs> like smothering something with your, your excrement it's a, um, it's a terrible way to go but there are a bunch of spiders and beetles that will mimic poop in order to attract insects in. So, you know, poop is repellent to most things except for coprivores, things that eat poop. Say, uh, so they're uh, these orb weaver spiders. We have like garden orb weavers and stuff here in the States. Uh, But in Australia, they have uh, orb weavers there that mimic poop. And they are looking like poop and they're really, really gross looking. And so they have to do two different things to make it work. One is that they, if you're going to attract a fly in that is laying its eggs or feeding on uh, excrement, then you have to look like uh, that poop, but you also have to act (laughs) like that poop. The tricky part. And so these, (laughs) yeah, so... um, there's uh, another uh, mimic of poop that lives in uh, Southeast Asia in like a Borneo area. And they, uh, they're called b- uh, bird dung spiders. And they look just like Bundo. bird droppings. Uh, they're related to our crab spiders, which the crab spiders will like lay under goldenrod flowers and then wait for pollinator to land on the flower and then ambush them. And so with these bird dung spiders, if they have their legs out, they don't look like dung anymore. And so they will just lay down on a leaf looking with their legs tucked in, looking just like dung, waiting for a fly to land on them. Uh, One of the cool things that they do to enhance their form of mimicry is like, so bird droppings are made out of both the feces and the urine. And so they have that white sort of liquidy stuff splashed around it. And if the liquidy stuff dries up, uh, then it leaves sort of a white powdery kind of faint trace white around the darker dropping. And so what the bird dung spiders do is they'll weave, uh, not they'll put down their silk, their like web-like structure on the to leaf below the, them, and the then they'll wait on top of that. Bird urine. Wow. Next level. <clears throat> next level. And they do it next, next level because that already is amazing. And there are other things that look like poop. But then most of those things 
don't smell like poop. So if you wanted to attract something to you, smelling like poop would be great for something that might be, you know, using other senses than sight to find potential food sources. And so the bird dung spiders actually emit a smell that smells just like bird droppings. And so it actively recruits flies to come uh, a little bit closer. I know we do have we have several bird poop type caterpillars here in the northeast right but they're more for just so they won't get eaten they look like bird poop don't look at me I'm just poop yeah just trying to grow here just trying to rest yeah Uh, have you ever seen them out in the woods we have seen a couple we've seen a couple I mean we the caterpillar book this is by we I mean me and my um, now 10 year old son Finn who got very into caterpillars last year so it was our goal to try to find several but of course we ended up just looking at a lot of bird poop that were not caterpillars (laughs) yeah yeah, I've I've found uh, two different ones. There's uh, what's called the elegant wood nymph, uh, and I found one of those uh, here in Burlington. And that one I saw because they're symmetrical and symmetry, you know, for poop yeah. doesn't usually <laughs> unless exist. you're really good at so it. So that was uh, it. Just kind of caught my my eye, and so I was lucky to find that one. And then a couple weeks ago, I was uh, I've been working on a, a, a tree ID book. And I was uh, photographing a shrub, not a tree, but prickly ash. And I, there was uh, there were a couple of leaves that I was looking at, and one of them had bird droppings on it. And then it, I grabbed the leaf, and then the bird dropping moved, <laughs> and it turned out it was what's called an orange dog or black swallowtail. Oh, right, the black swallowtail. Black swallowtail. That's the one we were really hoping. Yeah, yeah, and it was cool because so I was looking at it. I took a bunch of photos of it, and then as I was looking at it its head swelled up. It like changed its shape so that it was like less symmetrical. It wasn't just like a tube and it kind of curled its body a little bit. So it had, yeah, a different appearance and it slowly started to look more like poop. But it was like this sort of cylinder-ish thing that was kind of knobby on the outside. So it had texture to it and it went white, black, white, black. Uh, and it was a little bit shiny too, so it and was that its that was its like chrysalis form, droppings. or was it is still a caterpillar? That's that's its caterpillar form. So yeah, so like yeah, you mentioned that that's sort of the defensive type of mimicry. Growing outside my front yard, I have uh, bindweed or uh, what's also called like morning glories or a type of bindweed, and I found on them when I first started growing them. Uh, one of the coolest little insects are super super ador- adorable. They're called golden tortoise beetles, uh. and they have this sort of translucent elytra or shell on the outside, and then part of it is pigmented, uh, and they it looks like a tiny little bear. <laughs> They're really, really, really cute. And these ones don't, they don't actually mimic looking like poop, uh, but they use their poop for defense in sort of a different way. So they have these long telescoping anuses uh, that they can sort of arch over their back like a a stegosaurus tail or something. Halloween, Halloween costume idea. It's coming to me. Keep going. This would be a great one, a big telescoping (laughs) anus that that comes off and then drops candy on uh, your back. And educational. Yeah, so these things will, they'll deposit poop onto their back. They have like a little fork on their back that kind of anchors the the poop in place. And then it acts as a, a shield against predators. So, you know, something that looks at this would just think super, super gross. I'm going nowhere near that thing. Um, but then... They will raise their larvae for some species. They'll raise their larvae communally. And so the uh, female will sit on uh, top of this like pile 
of larvae that have these long anuses that at the end of the anus, they'll attach poop to it. And then they sort of radiate out and they have all these little wagging wagging tails of poop. Yeah, that act like swords. So it's like a shield and sword kind of (laughs) deal. It's super gross. I'll I'll post a a photo in the show notes so you can see what this looks like. And it's sort of it's sort of like poop. uh, Well, I mean, it's partly camouflage, but partly clothing in a way, putting it onto your back. Yeah, I guess I probably shouldn't have mentioned that with because that's not mimicry. That's just using other organisms inherent revulsion (laughs) to poop as a. A defense um one the of the cool of forms of mimicry because like uh, insects there's a lot of different uh, forms of mimicry with insects but with vertebrates there really isn't all that much mimicry that happens for things looking like unpalatable things or things looking like um other species but with uh there's a, a bird in the southwest part of the kalahari desert called the double banded courser and they kind of look like if you took a killdeer, which are common little plover birds, if you took one of those and you kind of stretched it out, gave it longer legs, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got these two little bands or rings on its neck. And they, uh, their eggs are described as looking at poop. And if you look at their eggs, they don't really look like poop. They're just kind of mottled. They look more like little round granite uh, rocks. Um, but you could kind of see other poop like, but the really good argument that they do mimic poop is, uh, that over half of the time, these birds will lay their eggs in an area that has a bunch of mammal poop in it. So they mimic the shape or not the shape, but the, the texture and, uh, appearance of poop in order to blend in with that and appear to be something that's not edible. Mm. So these are ground nasty birds that just make like tiny little shallow depressions. Poop pellet of sorts. Are there chameleons that can, you know, or, you know, lizards that can change color or other that can go for the poop option when they're coloring that you know of? Uh, that I don't know. I mean, they're, chameleons are up in trees, and there's often not poop, poop that hanging hangs out trees. up in trees. Yeah. I've got a story about uh, an animal that poops in trees. Okay, I'd love <laughs> um, to hear it. If not now, yeah. then some. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to stay over in the sort of Borneo area, and uh, there are these tree shrews that live out there called mountain tree shrews, and they have a special relationship with the tropical types of pitcher plants. So for pitcher plants, they can either be near the ground or they can be up on vines or up in trees. And so for the uh, ones that are down near the ground, they rely heavily on insects, attracting insects to the pitchers, and then the insects get trapped in the traps, and then they slowly digest or dissolve the insects and absorb nitrogen that way. But for the pitcher plants that grow up in these uh, trees off the ground, they researchers almost never find insects in the aerial traps. So then the question is, well, why, it, you know, uh, spend all this energy on developing this pitcher that's works. designed to acquire n- nitrogen from the environment if it doesn't work? And it turns out that setting out camera traps on these these pitcher plants have been able to get really great footage of these little tree shrews that come in. Our pitcher plant plants don't have little cap over the top. They, these ones have this sort of leaf that sticks out over the trap. And on the underside of it, it has these extra floral nectaries that secrete, you know, this sugary solution. And so the tree shrews will come and they'll sit on the trap uh, <laughs> and then they'll lick the underside of this leaf. And then poop before something. they leave, they'll poop inside the trap. Holy and moly. so it turns out that 
not from insects, but from tree shrew poop, they're deriving uh, their nitrogen. And in some cases, like 100% of their nitrogen is coming from tree shrew poop. They're just commodes, commodes with a snack. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's an idea that's right. for <clears throat> toilet training when it's young. Have a little snack there. Little, yeah. <laughs> a little sugar flap the lick and then lick and poop. I don't know. I don't know if it's a good habit that's for a life good idea. later in life. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty, pretty cool one. <laughs> that's a great one. I guess it just goes to show if you see something in nature that seems to not be working at all, you know, put a camera trap on it. Maybe you'll find something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch it long enough. Watch it long enough. It's probably there for a reason. So you got any others for us? Any other divergent thoughts about scat? Well, I don't know if this is... You know, I am a bit fascinated by the dung beetles. Seems like a, an admirable creature. And I don't know. So they make the dung into a ball. Maybe they have other... I don't think they do this, but one could imagine they have other things that get put into the ball. And that they roll along, so they're using the dung for transport. It's like they're using it to get get things from some place to another by putting it inside a dung ball. Like they're they're putting all their luggage in system. there. Yeah, their luggage or I don't know, yeah, valuables, memorabilia. I'm not sure what it would be. I mean, I can't imagine you'd like impregnate someone with poop. Impregnate. I don't know if it's used for reproduction. Indirectly. So sometimes these uh, poop balls are offered as a nuptial gift, <laughs> a little marriage offering. Again, perhaps um, don't try this at home. Depends on the yeah. culture. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we talked about like in terms of using as a tool to enhance your reproductive capacity. Uh, we have the Egyptian vulture that makes itself more beautiful by eating poop. And then we have the yeah beetle that is rolling up these little nuptial packages for the females. There's ambergris, I think is what it's oh, yeah. called. It's from like the sperm whales. Is that from the sperm? Whales? Yeah, from the sperm whales. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? The only thing I know is it's sort of some conglomeration of partly poop and maybe partly undigested. Um, it's sort of a stone type thing. They, they they kind of, I think, hack up or, so, or maybe they poop out. But it's like super valuable, right? If you find it, it can be worth thousands of dollars. So it's... Yeah, tens of thousands tens of dollars. Thousands. So it's it's a treasure, a modern day... Yeah, poop out a treasure. That's a, that's, that's a skill. So it's kind of like we talked about with... Uh, I, I should amend what we said in the last episode about owl pellets. So we, we said that it was probably vomiting up these things from the crop. The crop is more of just like a storage tank. It's from the gizzard, which is like a digestive... Like a pre-stomach digestion right. uh, thing. And so they're vomiting up these pellets to wrap uh, rough things that would abrade the digestive tract in fur and feathers and then throwing those up. And then with the with sperm whales, it's sort of similar where the ambergris is a, a, like an intestinal wall lining that's, you know, made out of mostly just like fatty materials. And then it, it wraps around potentially, it's not really clear what exactly the function of this is, but uh, squid beaks are often found in them. And so it could be a similar thing where it encases these potentially sharp, damaging objects in the intestinal tract so they can get past without, um, yeah, destroying the intestines. But they get pooped out, and often they just get pooped into the water, and, or they always get pooped into the water, <laughs> and often they'll just sink. But sometimes they do wash up on shore, and people find these in, like, you know, volleyball-sized <laughs> ambergris can be worth 70 to you know, $170,000. But why? Who's paying for it? <laughs> Somebody. That's the other. Yeah. <laughs> are they used for, perf they're used for, again, what are they used for? Um, mostly? Yeah, perfume. Perfumes. I think you were going to say it. Yeah. I guess it means gray amber in French. I always thought it was ambergris, but it looks like here you can pr also pronounce it amber ambergris. 
but yeah so yeah rich people again <laughs> weird <laughs> aesthetic taste uh using it as a yeah it's a fixative actually like anything that smells bad for a long period of time is good at holding on to scent and so like you know skunks have like a fixative so there are two different molecules in there there's the molecule that smells and then the molecule that binds onto the smell and so those those fixing agents can be used if you can extract out the thing that smells bad you can use it as a fixative for perfumes one molecule to bind them and they can bind can they bind multiple molecules multiple scents i guess you could have yeah you could bind whatever or not whatever, but you can find other, find other yeah, molecules on there. But yeah, pretty wild. You look at, you can find, I mean, people find these uh, not all the time, but occasionally washed up on shore um, around the world. Yeah, I was reading a story about a guy in uh, England who found one. And yeah, it was like the size of a volleyball. And some <laughs> French guy offered him $70,000 for it up front. But someone else was like, no, it's probably worth like 200000 Wow. Wonder if I, I wonder how much he or she got for it at the end. <laughs> I don't know. Find it in the show notes, perhaps. But yeah, so so we got poop as a, a, a beauty tool, beauty aid. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, we talked about like mimicking poop as a defense, but you could also just use your poop as a, a defense directly. Um, so uh, you probably experienced this picking up like either a toad or a snake and toads will just pee on you. Pee on you. Uh, yeah. And then snakes will often defecate if you uh, pick them up. And these are... Uh, like with toads it's sort of a false signal the uh urine isn't actually like toxic Toxic. or anything like that um but uh it can either startle a predator that might drop it um or it can maybe just make the predator more wary and be like oh you know what this might not (laughs) this is just the first this is just a sign of things to come yeah i mean (laughs) possums do that it's not uh poop they they have these other glands that you know dispel this gross paste so they don't play dead it's like a physiological process where they kind of pass out and then they exude out this gross horrible substance yellow white yeah paste that smells super foul um but mimics them either being dead or just rotting pustulant infested yeah (laughs) pustulant Yeah, again, tapping into that evolutionary revulsion against uh, waste products. Yeah, it feels uh, like monkeys really could take it to a better level if they could have if their poop itself be a little more re- repulsive, perhaps. I mean, it, I, it's it's got to be an effective strategy. I, I find, you know, when if you find a, a kill site, uh, one of the last things that's ever eaten is the stomach. And that's where, you know, or the stomach or intestinal tract. And that's where you know the the digested waste materials all the metabolic wastes are concentrated i was wondering if there's any cases or you come across you know sort of wilderness advice you know because there's a lot of controversy about how to deal with a bear if you encounter a bear in the wild do you just stay motionless do you curl up in a ball do you try to run away climb a tree maybe just cover yourself in poop though would i mean probably not with a bear <laughs> but i wonder if it's used as a defense as a recommended defense for humans at any time there is this uh story about uh this uh woman from saint mike's who's uh that's a college right. near where we live here in vermont and she was back home in new york and she said she got uh she encountered a bear the bear chased her for five miles oh and then God. treed her and she stayed up in the tree for like four or five days. 
and the oh bear was just like God. staying there. That's I have insane. a suspicion that she just got lost in the woods and came up with that story. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to whoever, whoever maybe that she was. climbed a tree and then she she didn't know how to get down. So then that was her story. And that could have been it. Yeah, like a cat. And uh, but that would have been a great strategy, right? She could have just she was up there for. I five mean, after days. two she or three just... days, start start trying anything. I mean, you got to yeah. wonder the bear. That's a long time to wait for a meal. Maybe there were some berries nearby. Yeah, well, five miles. I mean, she said also, she yeah. got chased for five miles. Were they the so same pace? It seems unlikely. Neck and neck? I mean, that's the thing is a black bear would outrun her. I don't know. <laughs> even as a cross-country runner. <laughs> it's a little fishy. A little fishy. Uh, Good story, though. But but I always I always had this idea in, in my head that if I ever got attacked by a bear, rather than... Because one of the things you can do is uh, you can play dead, uh, which doesn't work for grizzlies, but apparently works for black bears. Um, or you can grab sticks and you know hold them up so you look much larger than yourself but i was like if i came across a rabid raccoon versus just a normal raccoon i would be terrified of the rabid raccoon and i would leave it alone so my thought is i would always just act <laughs> like a rabid animal just start like <laughs> yeah frothing at the mouth and like i'm sure yeah if you could just you know force a poop out and then start rubbing <laughs> it all over yourself <laughs> That would probably do that, yeah that for goes from it's it's either ra- rabid or you know definitely mental mentally unreliable either one yeah <laughs> risk for a predator <laughs> yeah they should make little capsules you could like <clears throat> bite down on an instant foam foams into your mouth you yeah know, if you need to appear rabid for alka seltzer right is yeah that what that just, does? maybe that is what it is we have those yeah yeah instant and rabid. then there's that uh ipecac is that what it is or something the uh it's something that you take that like immediately flushes out your system. Oh right, you immediately throw up or something for poison type thing. Yeah, rapid acting emetic. Do you get any other any other thoughts here on how you could use your poop? Well, I could perhaps perhaps continue to brainstorm. I'm curious if there's ones that I haven't touched upon that are particularly would be of interest to our listeners. Yeah, I've got maybe a few more. Uh, so uh, you you probably know this. So uh, turkey vultures, and it's called urohydrosis. So turkey vultures, storks, they'll poop on their legs. And it's a little bit, not a mystery. There are two competing hypotheses that are probably both right about why they do this. And one is birds can't sweat. They don't have any sweat glands. And so uh, staying cool. Cools them cool. down. Staying cool. yeah. And so um, pooping on your legs, uh, particularly with bird poop, which is a mix, again, of both the, the feces and the, the urine, the urine that is on their legs that runs down their legs will uh, evaporate off. And as it evaporates, it cools down the legs. So for us, peeing on the legs would probably work better. Just to clarify, in case the listeners are... Well, uh, better than peeing go. on the legs, you'd probably want to pee on your shirt and then put it on... Put it on. Uh, <laughs> And so that, um, although I guess if you, you wiped it on your arms and legs, it would do the same thing because it would cool your extremities and draw blood out uh, to those cooler areas. But this is something that for like hikers that are lost in hot areas, uh, you are supposed to use your urine rather than just pee out into the environment. Use it to, to evaporatively cool, cool yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, storks and vultures, they can poop every like couple of minutes. And so they're doing this regularly, particularly when they're uh, overheated. And so that's one possible reason. Another possible reason is that it uh, can sterilize or wash away parasites that are on their legs. So these are uh, not storks, but uh, vultures and buzzards are birds that are digging, you know, they're elbow deep in a carcass all the time. And so if you're 
you know feeding on carcasses you're actively picking up parasites it's one of the reasons that uh, turkey vultures will sun themselves they have dark feathers so that the sun can heat up their feathers and bake any parasites ectoparasites that are yeah on their feathers do they um, get... But if you're black, you're probably heating up more, and so you need a way of cooling down. I also. see. So it's <clears throat> it keeps them alive, uh, so they can still use their heating up strategy. They can yeah. poop on the legs and regulate. I've got three last ones here. So uh, poop could be used as transportation. So um... <laughs> like the dung beetle ball. <laughs> like the dung beetle ball. Um, or I just imagine kind of like a you know a bunch of ants or beetles floating on a log. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, a raft, but parasites it use it to go from one suitable host to the other. So like we have brainworm, not we as in humans, but we as in here in Vermont, we have uh, brainworm, which is a parasite that attacks cervids, so deer and moose. It transports from one host to another by feces. So it's will lay its eggs and have its reproductive cycle in the brain of a deer or a moose and then from there the young will make their way through the vascular system through the blood down into the digestive tract where they'll burrow into the intestines and they get passed out with the poop and then the poop gets distributed somewhere in the land and then slugs come along feed on the poop ingest some of the brain worm and then deer come along later and eat or moose come along and eat some of those slugs that are the alternate hosts. So a bunch of parasites rely on poop to go from one host uh, to another. And maybe a good yeah. warning, not to eat raw slugs. Yeah. I, I'm don't. guessing if we did that, maybe they could get us too. But luckily, we if don't you were a deer. If we were a deer. If you were a deer. We'd yeah. be okay anyway. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. But in the last episode, I mentioned Giardia, right? And so Giardia is something that's transported from one human host to another uh, by feces. And largely it's due to, yeah, people not being hygienic when they're sleeping. <laughs> Wash uh, your hands. Well, also yeah. seeds. Of course, plants use poop for transportation all the time, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. It's one of their main wet transport systems. Yeah, we'll talk about plants and poop in two episodes. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. <laughs> and then uh, I guess the last one, we kind of already mentioned this a little bit with uh, termites, but just being explicit about it. So animals will build homes out of poop or structures that uh, have poop embedded in them. I was so, wondering like, about that. I thought I mentioned that, but I forgot. Yes. The poop house. Yeah. Like Adobe. The poop house. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, like there's amber rat, which is made by wood rats out in the desert in the, the U.S., uh, but also with penguins. So this is kind of cool. So it's not constructing a house, but it's making a site more habitable. And so Gentoo penguins will, during the early part of the nesting season, they will move into the nesting season before it's suitable for nesting because it's still covered in snow. And they'll poop in that area and researchers have put up time-lapse cameras on these nesting grounds, and you can just see that in areas where there are Gentoo penguins pooping, the snow melts far, far faster. Ah, uh, and it does it, it, does it in two melting. ways. Yeah, one is like if you put salt uh, on snow, it'll melt it because it lowers, lowers the freezing the point. But the other thing is like um, one of the big problems up in these uh, glacial fields is, have you ever seen watermelon snow? I don't know. I don't think so. It's like this. It's beautiful. It's this uh, sort of pink covering. Uh, It's like this. It looks like a snow cone, like if you put pink syrup and shaved ice and it kind of looks like that. But and it's a type of green algae. But one of the problems with it is white is really reflective. But any other color 
absorb sunlight and that's essentially heat and so this watermelon snow does the same thing as the penguin poop uh which can be is whiteish, but can be pink or darker and uh yeah or it lowers the albedo albedo is a measure of reflectiveness and so it absorbs slightly more heat than just normal snow does so it increases the melting rate uh that way as well it lowers the albedo of the snow. So it basically preps the area for, yeah, nesting season. Oh, watermelon snow. Yeah. Seems like it would be, it sounds like a snack. Could be a snow cone flavor. <laughs> it could then be. Then you, you trick them by actually just serving the algae. Infested. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, it sounds like marketing is going to be really important here for <laughs> this endeavor. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the if you just charge enough money for it, it you know, stupid it seems people to work. Yeah, with too much money will burn. Beans, maybe watermelon snow is the next one. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine if like bird shit face wash costs like three bucks for a gallon tub of it, nobody Nobody's would buy get it. it. Yeah. yeah, but if you charge, you know, a thousand dollars a pound, I'm going to start doing yeah. that with several of the several of the things we mentioned on today's podcast and see which ones takes off. Yeah, great. We'll get back to our listeners about that. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the last one I want to mention, uh, just because I, I thought this was kind of cool, is like this is another colonial nesting bird um, called the blue-footed booby, oh, yes. uh, which everyone's probably familiar yeah. with. And they've got these brilliant blue feet. Not all of them actually have brilliant blue. Uh, this is one of these other signals where the, the brighter the, the blue. The yeah, the better. Both the males and the females will incubate the eggs together, uh, but males will be less likely to sit on the smaller eggs of pale-legged females <laughs> so if you have really bright uh legs then it's supposedly a signal to the males that your eggs are going to be healthy and worth investing time in um, the males and the females that are sitting on the eggs incubating will rotate with the sun and uh so as the the sun is moving across the sky they'll slowly turn in a circle and so one side of the nest as the male or female sitting there they're pooping and so one side of the nest will have this sort of more prominent arc and they have this sort of circle eventually that forms on their nest uh of poop that marks out the territory and they're nesting these big colonies and once the eggs hatch they have these little, you know, nestlings that are mostly hanging out in the same spot, but will kind of stray from the nest a little bit. And if they, uh, the nestlings stray out of the poop circles, then the adults won't feed them anymore. So it sort of delineates <laughs> like, like this is a safe Family zone. Marking. Stay inside the poop, uh, yeah. and you'll get fed. Usable for kids tags games, kids tag games maybe potentially in an emergency if you don't have any orange cones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, the semicircle of poop. That is an astounding amount of. There's an astounding amount of fascinating stories you've you've uh, <coughs> rained out on us today. Yeah, 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 gross. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're just we're just scratching the surface here. Um, but it, I mean it is cool. I mean there's you know this idea that nature abhors a vacuum, and so wherever you have a resource that could be used, you know things are going to find in a myriad ways divergent to number take... of ways. Yeah, Evolution yeah. is a divergent process. Yeah. Kind of cool. Very so cool. yeah, so that's all. That's all I got for today. Tools um, and stools. Stools as tools. Many an idea. Lots to take in. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, uh, yeah. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, how animals use uh, their scat and urine as territorial markers. So that's also another tool, but I figured it deserved its own episode. 
But yeah, thanks All for, right, for joining it. me. Thanks, T. Yeah. As usual. See you next time. All right. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. Bye. Well, hopefully you found our discussion of stools as tools far more palatable than our last episode on the forbidden snack. In our next episode, we'll look at how animals use their waste products to mark out their territories. Until then, we'd greatly appreciate you dropping a five-star review for us. It definitely helps us get the word out there on iTunes and the other podcast apps. After that, head on over to crowspath.org podcast and get in touch with us through our Woodland message board where you can ask questions, suggest future topics, and even post fake ads that we might even read on the air. You'll also find archived episodes, online natural history programs, and lots of other natural history content. All right, well, naturalists, that's it for now. We'll see you next time on The Single Acorn.